Welcome to Murder in the Black with Steph and MD. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It's your host, Steph. And I'm MD. Let's go ahead and get into our crime story for the day. Right, so grab your coffee if it's the morning and your wine if it's the evening. But either way, let's get into it. So, Steph, before we dive into our case for today, you know, we are moving into um, our music and murder series. What would you title this case? I'm throwing the chain right back to you. Um... Looks are not always as they seem. Ooh, I like that. So, I want you guys to travel with me to Texas. That's right. This case is coming straight to you from, from where we are here in the heart of Texas. And our uh, person of interest today is Catherine Martinez. And Catherine Martinez was born January 15th, 1990. And she was an absolutely stunning, I mean, I'm talking about drop-dead gorgeous woman. And, you know, she used her looks to get her where she needed to go. Not that she just, you know, put everything on her looks, but she took advantage of what her looks would bring her. But Catherine was not just, you know, all beauty. She was also brains. Catherine attended college, and there she studied advertising, design, and print. And her looks got her into the modeling. And she also helped herself get through college by, you know, dancing on the side. And so she would sometimes, um, you know, be a part of a... She was a dancer at a club where she would use that money to meet her needs to go to college, to, you know, fund her lifestyle and all of those things. And she was known in the industry as just being beautiful. She did fashion shows, photo shoots, pageants. I mean, this girl was a presence for sure. And she had a large social media, social, oh, get it out my ear. She had a large social media following and she, her name on her social media was Brasilia. Am I saying that right? Brasilia. So it's spelled B-R-A-S-I-L-I-A. Now, because Catherine was doing so much, she was dancing, she was modeling, she was in college, she was studying, she didn't sleep a lot because she was constantly on the grind. And her friends described her as being someone that was constantly on the move, looking for her next big thing, looking for what was going to allow her to, you know, get the come up. And so Catherine did what she needed to do to try to find her rise, her fame, so to speak. And in 2008, Catherine met a man by the name of Russell Neal. While she was working at her dance club, 
at her dance club as a dancer at the club and he would come and he would watch her dance a couple of nights a week uh, before he got the nerve up to introduce himself and to try to make Catherine know who he was right and so after about three to four months they started dating and the rest is history because they got married uh, and had two kids. But before we tell you a little bit more about their life, Steph is going to tell you about who Russell Neal is. Because believe it or not, he is somebody you should know. Yeah, so Russell Neal, um, actually, I wanted to correct you real quick. They never got married. He just referred to her as his wife. That's right. That's yeah, right. so they had never got married. But Russell Neal um, was... Very popular back in the 90s. He was with a quintet called High Five. If you don't know who High Five is, because maybe that's just beyond you. Um, High Five was a very popular 90s R&B group. And they came out of Texas. They're from Texas. So I'm not sure where. I want to say Wasahachie, Texas. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, um, you know, that's just a small town just south of Dallas or north of Dallas north of Dallas, and um, they reached stardom. I mean, they had people like R. R Kelly writing for them. I don't know if that would mean anything to you. That may or may not. Um, Depending on where you are. Yeah, I mean, but you, yeah, it depends on where you are, but I mean, he wrote good songs, and one of their most popular songs was The Kissing Game. They had a single uh, called Never Let You Go that was on Sister Act 2 soundtrack. They were just really, really big in the 90s but when she catches up to him it's 2008 right so, right, so the, i mean the, his fame has kind of died down a little yeah but according to him you know he he was still on top of the world right and because he had all of this fame back in the 90s right um and she could google him as she did her little google searches online you know he was the popular one and honestly when you go and look back at pictures of russell back in the day now Russell was like the best looking person in the group to me, to us, to us here on this show, to me. And he was one of the most smoothest guys in the group. Their uh, road manager described him as just like very quiet, was the one who was very tempered around women, never got into much trouble. And so he actually came from a background where his both of his parents were um, professionals. His mother was a lawyer and his father was a doctor, kind of like the Huxtables. And he came from good stock, you know what I mean? But he loved to dance and loved to sing. And although the group was very popular in the 90s, they had several different tragedies in the group that may have been a foreshadowing to what actually happened to Russell. So if you're familiar the lead singer was Tony Thompson, and just a year prior, in 2007, he actually passed away from inhaling Freon, and it was like the, it was like a freak accident, honestly, because he was, if you know those big air conditioning units that are outside of your house or apartment complexes, he sat down on one and went to sleep and had too much Freon. He, he inhaled too much of... The Freon that was coming out of the AC unit. Yeah, it's the wildest thing to me. I mean, I remember like vividly watching I Love Behind the Music or like Unsung right. is what it is now. But um, they did an Unsung episode about this. Like 
like shortly after he had passed. And um, Russell and all the other guys were a part of the uh, documentary. documentary. And so, you know, when they said that, I was like, dang. What? How does that even happen? I mean, because you never hear about things like that. That's so strange. It's one of those like, never, ne- probably once in a lifetime. No, very few people have ever experienced anything like this. Right. I mean, okay. So off of that, but another member of the group who was with them early on, Toronto Easley, he was actually arrested in 1990. After, you know, they said he shot a friend. They, I don't think they ever were able to prove that. And this occurred right before the group got famous, right? So, you know, this is just, y'all. They just had a lot of kind of weird situations happening right. to them. You don't right. usually see this in groups, music groups that make it big, right? Right, right. So, you know, when he met Catherine, she kind of just fell in love with his charm, right? Um... And we know it now as gaslighting, love bombing. And this is a tactic that men or people who are just manipulators use. He would love bomb her initially and take her out and take her out on, you know, in his new car and and tell her that he was going to, you know, he was a music producer and he was going to, you know, basically introduce her to this life that she was wanting to have. Right. right? She was was grinding for this life. Right. She was doing everything she could to find her next come up. And here comes Russell mm-hmm. and he's got the connections and he has the the history and the, the background, right? Yes. And Catherine's family was very, they were very skeptical about Russell. And I always, I kind of ask myself when I look at these documentaries, I'm like, were you skeptical or are you more skeptical now looking back? A hindsight. Yeah. Like type of thing. Yeah, but I mean, it could be that, like yeah. she said, I just had a bad feeling, couldn't place it, but I didn't trust him with my sister. For sure. You and know? I think that that could be true because I think when it comes to me and you, right, like I feel like I'm hypersensitive to certain things when it comes to you, people that are around you. What, like, I mean, you're married, so it's not even about like men, but just even right. friends. I'm always like, just looking at it from a different lens than I think maybe other people would be looking sure. at it. But I agree with you. I think sometimes people say those things like after somebody dies or after somebody, you know, has a freak accident and you're like, I kind of felt that was off. And you're like, did you though? Right, right, right. So Catherine was actually 18 when she met Russell and he was in his 30s. So I think that naturally kind of gave them pause anyway. Like, what are you doing with this young girl? What's going on? But they allowed her to just, you know, figure out the relationship for herself. Early on in the relationship, Catherine actually got into an accident in Russell's new car. He had a Lincoln. And the car, it was it was a very bad accident. The car flipped several times, crashed into a tree. And this was probably the biggest red flag ever. Because instead of being concerned about Catherine, who was airlifted to the hospital, by the way, Russell was pissed that his car was damaged, totaled. His car. Yeah. Not not the 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 human. Right. Okay. And you know, Catherine, I think just being young and feeling a little bit guilty, right? That she had got into an accident in his car. She felt like I'm gonna pay him everything back. Like I don't wanna feel like I owe you something. 
right? So after five months of dating, Catherine and Russell moved in together and she quickly got pregnant with her oldest son. And they would go on to actually have two children together and they were both boys. Catherine left school and really tried to focus on being a parent. And Russell wasn't working during this time. She was really holding down that household. And so she would often go to her mother's house and visit. And they would be like, so what's Russell doing? Like, you're out here grinding. You got two kids. <laughs> what's, what's Russell doing? You're out here being a single mom. like Right. But, you know, she just tolerated it because I think she wanted to. When you have kids with somebody, I think you're trying to just keep your family unit together. You're trying to hold, you're trying to be that glue, right? Right. I mean, you want you want your kids to see two people, two parents raising. You know, you don't want to take one of the parents away from the kid. And you, you know that when you're not together, then that's more likely to happen, right? Mm-hmm. But there were also some additional red flag stuff, like with Russell's brother. What was that red flag? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think it was a red flag, but not until the end of the story. You know, not to looking back. It's one of those hindsight. (laughs) Like what we were talking about. Yeah, but I think we have to talk about what Russell's brother did. Like you're saying, Russell's brother Ronald, because they got a thing with the R's. You know what I'm saying, Russell Ronald. Bet his daddy's name was Rufus or something. Okay, so Ronald had been arrested several times for actually assaulting his wife. And she, you know, she was in a domestic, you know, assault situation, right? Domestic violence. And she finally got the nerve to leave him. And the day that she was going to leave him, she filed for divorce. And she was getting in her car and he shot her. Five times. Five. Five times. Five times. I mean, because you know, like, I don't think that I can understand the level of anger that you have to have to even pull a gun out and shoot somebody. I, I can't say that I even understand that. But but pretending that I can understand how you get to that level, to shoot somebody five times, and not just somebody, your wife, the mother of your children, I just think that's like, it's wild. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's borderline mental. It's beyond, you know, rational thinking. And they had three children together. So imagine the trauma that their kids are going to have to live with for the rest of their lives because he is he going it. to jail. Right, and he did it in front of the children. Like right. The children actually were there to witness it. So, And he ended up getting 80 years, right? Yeah, he got 80 years in prison, and he also claimed that he was insane. I don't, I'm not sure if that defense like went through and he was able to claim that, but either way, he ain't getting out no time soon. But you know, her sister, Glenda, who had the concerns about Russell initially, right? She heard about this story because I mean, this hit evening news, y'all. Like, this was a big deal. deal. Right, for sure. And so when she heard about it, she told Catherine, she's like, listen, I don't know what's going on with you and Russell, but. Finding out what I, you know, about his brother, I just feel like you need to leave him. You know what I mean? And I want to highlight that this month is actually Domestic Violence Abuse Month. And so we we want to highlight that, particularly in this case. But 
The thing that I haven't told you about Catherine is that not only was she trying to hold down this household with her full-time gig as well as, you know, serve her her sons, she would often go to her mom's house with black eyes. So she would, you know, try to cover them up with makeup. But, you know, your family, they know. And when they started to see these signs of abuse, they just felt like, you know what, you need to leave. This is not a good situation for you. You're not benefiting from this at all. Russell doesn't have a job. Russell's beating you. You know, you need to leave. But Catherine, as I said before, and as it is most of the time, so they say it takes about three times for a person who is experiencing domestic violence to actually leave. So she just, she wasn't ready. That's just when it comes right down to it, she just was not ready to leave. MD, can you tell us a little bit about what happened after that? Yeah, so she she wasn't ready to leave. And so she decided, you know, I'm going to try to fight for for my marriage. I, I keep saying marriage. And technically, in the state of Texas, they were married common law. But, <laughs> you know, the... It, you know, I'm gonna fight for my relationship, right? Like I'm gonna fight because because I want my kids to be there. So she just continued to focus on her career and her motherhood. And one of the things that I didn't share with you that I thought was an interesting tidbit about Catherine is that she was training to be a boxer, a female boxer. Yeah, and actually, like she was into bodybuilding, like right. you know, bikini model competition. She had won a bunch of them. So she was into fitness, and she was trying to be like this girl's a beast. Right, she was amazing, I mean, she, and she was beautiful on top of that. I mean, she just had she was the the full package, right? But she, you know, Catherine um, just decided that she was gonna try to separate a little bit from Russell, um, you know, like keep her kids, but allow Russell to come see them, right? Because you know, like he's a good dad, right? Blah, he's blah, a good blah. dad. Let me just, I want, I don't, I want to try to make this relationship work as much as possible. But I, I, I need, I'm trying to, I think that, you know, what women who are in domestic violence, and I can only speculate, but I think that what they try to do is begin to figure out ways that they can build the separation. And they go through this period where they're trying to figure out, can we coexist? And I think that that's where Catherine was. It was like, I think she was having this realization of, this is not quite working, but I also still... I don't think he'll do anything to my kid, our kids. Mm-hmm. So I want him to be able to have access to the kids. But so for a total, they were together for about five years. Yeah, about five. Years. Okay, mm-hmm. and then she tried it. She at that time she was like, okay, this is, this is not really this working. Not let's really try working. to split. Yeah, let's try to. I'm gonna go live, you know, in a condo um, away from him. But I'm but I want him to. I had, and she had custody of the boys, but she wanted Russell to still. Be an active presence in the boy's life, right? And so I think it was that place of we're not working, but we can still co-parent. Right. You still come see the kids. Come see the kids. Can pick them up, but we're not together. We're not together. So on July, on June thirtieth, two thousand fourteen, Catherine went to Colleen, Texas, because she was trying to promote, you know, something for her job, for her work, and. This was the last time that Glenda, her sister, claims that she saw saw Catherine. Mm-hmm. And on, but on June second, two thousand fourteen, Russell walked into a police station. I'm sorry, July second, not June second. Yeah, July second, 
Russell walked into a police station and he's like, um, I got into a fight with my wife last night and now she's dead. I'm sorry, what now? Right. Like, he, this is what he tells the, the police. So the police are like, okay, um, we're going to go to the house or the place where you had this fight. And so when they go, you know, just to see, like, is is he telling the truth? Like, or is this guy crazy? You know, police are like, just it's not, it's, it's kind of abnormal for somebody to walk in and just, I got into a fight with my wife and, oh, by the way, she's dead as a result of that fight. And so when they walk into the condo to, to check out Russell's story, they find Catherine's body covered with a sheet, and she had multiple blunt force injuries to her head. She also had a stab wound to her back and shoulder. Now, there were several defensive wounds that were on, on the forearms of Catherine, so it shows that she was trying to fight back. She was fighting back. And I mean, it, this is kind of lining up on some ways with this fight that he is claiming he had. But the scene was, I mean, as you can imagine, a blunt force injury to the head, stab wounds to the neck and the shoulder. This is a bloody scene. Yeah, she definitely bled everywhere. Right. Where are the kids? Now, the kids, they were, they were in the house. So we can only assume that. So he left when he left to go tell the police. Hey, my wife and I got. In, I, mean, I keep saying wife. My my girlfriend and I got into this fight, and now she's dead. He left the children, Steph, at the house. At the house, and he had them locked in a in, room. In a room. Like and so we're guessing that he had them locked in the room the whole time, and hopefully they. But they heard. I'm sure they heard and probably even saw. They absolutely heard, even if they didn't see. And I'm, I'm with you, Steph. They probably saw because I don't think, in my mind, he probably didn't lock them up until he was like, I'm going to go to the police. When he tried to figure out, what the heck am I going to do here, right? And I think that's when he locked them up. But what they determined is that Catherine had been killed with a tire jack. So you know that jack when your tire is flat and you need to jack the car up? That is terrible. Yeah. And it had a knife. He attached a knife with duct tape to that. Y'all, that is heavy to, like, pick up and, like, beat somebody to death with. I mean, like, like, to hit multiple times, right? Both weapons were found in the condo. So, they. I mean, it's, it's no, like, I'm trying to hide this. I'm trying to, like, I'm trying to pretend, like, it was something else. I'm trying to rearrange and make the scene look different. No, I mean, it was there. The police found it in the home. So the way that the police were able to look at it, it looked like for, for it to have been, what Steph said, to be duct taped with a knife, the tire jack, it appeared to be a planned attack. This is looking very much like premeditated murder. Yeah, so the the police gathering evidence, putting the pieces of the story together, and what they kind of compiled is that Catherine died in the early mornings of July 1st. Russell didn't turn himself in until July in the afternoon, July 2nd, which just goes to show you the level of depravity in this man's mind. So they believe that Catherine returned home from her trip to Colleen around 5 a.m., 
The kids woke up to Russell yelling and screaming at their mother around. Go ahead. They thought that he was spanking her. Yeah. But, so that's what they told the police. That's we, what they're we, telling. We heard, we heard mom screaming. We thought dad was spanking her. What? Right. Okay. Okay. These poor babies. Around 5:45, neighbors reported loud bangs. Now, I just want to I just want to stop and I'm not blaming these neighbors, but I just want to say this that when you hear something don't I I think it is human in like instinct to write it off as something else. Right. Like I think you know, you hear this boom you're like, what was that? Right, in a, in a condo. So, right. y'all relatively close. Right. You know, I, I just... So, I think, it's, that, I think it's, one boom, right? Like one boom, you can justify. And honestly, had they said they heard a loud bang with a G, I would have been more inclined to say, okay, I can understand why you probably just wrote that off and said, I'm, I'm maybe tripping, one, or two, Certainly something could have fell over in the condo and mm-hmm. it's not a big deal. And I'm not trying to call the police off of a, a, a one thing falling or, you know, it'd be nothing. But to hear several loud bangs and to know in hindsight, right, we know this, we have the benefit of hindsight again. I think that's this, this whole story is hindsight, right? We know that she was being murdered during this time. I would imagine then, and knowing that he was using this tire jack, this big, huge, heavy tire jack, that the it was not just one boom, it was several bop 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 because of how, like just screams yeah attached right. So I, I'm I, and I know you're being really kind, Steph, when you're saying I'm not trying to blame these neighbors, but I'm just saying yeah because I maybe maybe she still would have died, but I mean maybe yeah. I mean I just think it's 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 imperative that if you hear something. And you hear back to back like that, like you need to call the police because if worst case scenario, it's something right that the police can attend to. And then even if it's not, then the police that, hey, listen, that's their job. Okay, they post it. If you think something's going on, (laughs) they're supposed to get called. And if nothing's going on, they're supposed to handle it. That's their job. Okay, Mm -hmm. so I just want to encourage you as a listener that, you know, if you see something, Say something, do something. Right, and we're not asking you to be a Karen. You know, like, I, I know that some, you know, we live in, in like, our culture is, I'm going to mind my business. But it's a difference between I'm minding my business off of something that's not illegal and potentially deadly. Yeah. And something that is obviously disconcerting. Like, you know, like, okay, I don't know what's happening over there. The, I know that that's my neighbor and, and, it's five in the morning. There's loud bangs. It sounds like they're screaming. I just want to make sure she's safe. That's a woman. I want to make sure she's okay. And like, if everything is okay, great. No harm, no foul. You know. And you can do it anonymously too. Like if you're concerned about. Yeah, obviously use court. discretion and wisdom. But just want to encourage you guys to do that because I think a lot of times, you know, there's a whole psychologist effect about how people usually don't do anything when they see people in trouble. So. You can do something. Okay, so back to the story. Around 5.45 a.m., the neighbors hear the sc- they hear the loud bangs. They hear the screams. And the kids at this point are shuffled out of the living room. So they probably saw that or heard that because I'm like, they're shuffled out of the living room. Okay, the lights were off and 
Catherine was under a blanket. Russell actually took the kids to school. To school. And that's when one of the boys noticed that there was like what he was told. It was ketchup on Russell's shoulder, but it was actually blood. So Catherine's blood was on Russell's shoulder. And, you know, he was like, oh, that's not blood because the little boy is smart. And he was like, you know, daddy, what was going on? He said, oh, that's just ketchup. So, you know, this is what ultimately happened. Okay. So they go ahead, they bag up all the evidence, nothing, he didn't clean up anything, like, he wasn't trying to cover this up, obviously, he went and told on himself. Yeah, he, I think he probably sat there and was like, I, yeah, I'm just gonna go turn myself in, and I have a, I have a thoughts as to why he did this, but we're gonna, I'll tell y'all at the conclusion. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the police had all the evidence that they needed, so... Russell turned himself in. They booked him. Um, And while he was in the county jail, he actually used a razor to shave his head and (laughs) color color coordinated his outfit with a shirt that said King. Y'all, okay, so I'm just going to pause for the cause. I literally watched the episode of Unsung and... At the very and Russell participated. He was in the interviews talking about high five. And at that time, it was they were in talks of like you know doing a reunion. And because you know even now, like all the '90s groups are getting together and doing these concert and reunion tours, right? And so high five was thinking about doing the same thing. At the very end of Unsung, which I encourage you guys to go and watch if you want to know more about the group High Five, they say that Russell Neal was arrested. (laughs) In Houston, Texas. And I just couldn't believe it. Like, I just was like, what? And he had hair on his head. Like, during the interviews and stuff. And so I went and looked up these pictures, y'all. This man looks so creepy in his his picture. Mm -hmm. Indeed. Like. I mean, he looks bizarre. Okay. He, He looks like I believe he wants people to perceive him. Yeah. So while they're in the condo, they went back to the condo. This is what they found. They found several, you know, quotes um, written by Russell of, you know, things that famous people said. He said that he was going to be a billionaire in the next few years and go to business school. This is coming from a man who does not have a job and hasn't had a job for years. It's believed that he was jealous of Catherine because, like we said, like Catherine was doing the doggone thing. Like she held down a job while pursuing being a boxer, doing her, you know, being a trainer. She was on her way to stardom. I mean, she, she was grinding. I mean, she was creating a social media presence. Like she was doing what she needed to do to make it. She was like, okay, this isn't working. And she started to begin to put distance between her and Russell. She even started to date again. Yeah. And I think he saw her moving on and I think he didn't like it. Yes. So, You know, now, are you seeing the correlation between Russell and his brother? Do you see that? I just don't think it's by incident or happenstance that they both committed the same crime. They killed their spouses or their partners. So it's just crazy that, you know, to find out that his brother Ronald did the exact same thing. So Russell was charged with first degree murder 
And right before his trial, he was let out on a $100,000 bail that his mother and father paid for. So while he was out, the kids did not go into the custody of Catherine's family. They went into the custody of Russell's. Now, you can argue about that and say that's not right. But obviously, you know, Child Protective Services was okay with that. But here's the problem. His mother was actually allowing Russell to come over and have visits with the kids, give the kids a bath. And they told her, under no circumstances is Russell supposed to be around the kids. Well, she didn't care. Um, And as, you know, her kids didn't either, obviously. I mean, yeah, I mean, why would her kids care, right? Like, you know, why would the two boys not want to see their dad? You know, they don't fully understand. They don't have, their brain is not fully developed. They don't understand what their dad did to their mom. They just love their dad. They just love their dad. Yeah. So, he um, was out on bail, but when it was time to appear back in court in May 2015, he did not, and he was arrested. And this is when he decided to claim that he was insane. Now, I personally don't believe that he is insane. He said that his name was no longer Russell. His name was Jesus Christ. You heard right. Jesus Christ. Last time I checked, the second coming has not happened. Okay, (laughs) so I'm confused. So, right, yeah, like that just goes against everything we know about him. But you know, they decide that they need to. Obviously, his lawyer puts in a plea that he's mentally unfit to stand trial. It was proven in 2023 that he is still mentally unfit to stand trial. And he is currently in a mental institution in Texas. Now, the um, CPS workers found out about Russell's mother violating, you know, the terms and conditions on her keeping the children. So as a result, the kids were moved into the custody of Catherine's mother and her sisters. So they now have custody of her children, which I'm so happy that they do. Right, because they experience two losses. Like, right, like, you know, we don't have the kids and we lost Catherine. Like, I think that's a, that was a huge blow. Yeah. I mean, and I watched this um, really, like, it was like a 30-minute true crime, a uh, daily true crime watch. And they sat down with Glenda and her mother. And Glenda was like, you know, it just, it irritates me that we're not able to get the close some of the closure that we deserve from this situation because this man is claiming that he's insane so until he's md you can you know jump in after this but until he's claimed mentally fit to stand trial which that could last for forever right md yeah you know if you're mentally unfit to stand trial that you don't you won't stand trial now you what that also means is that you're placed in a mental institution. And so it's not like you're just out roaming free True. doing whatever. You're in a mental facility. It, it, insane, you know. I don't know what the politically correct term is for that. <laughs> right, I mean, yeah, well, neither do I. I was going to say insane asylum, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that is not Well, the mentally, in, the mental institution. Right, a mental institution. That's where you are, and that's where he currently resides, and that's where he will reside up until 
they deem him fit to stand trial and he may, you know, may never be fit to stand trial because if he stands trial, it's likely he's going to be convicted, which means he's going to go to jail. And so wow. he probably feels like it's better to just keep this know, charade up and, and maybe you know, take he really these... is mentally ill. I no, don't know, but I not. honestly think that he it, it is too coincidental to me that both him and his brother committed similar crimes. Yeah. Both him and his brother tried to art to try to say that they were insane. His brother also used that same argument. Now it did not it worked with, for his brother for a moment, but then they deemed him fit to stand trial and he ended up getting 80 years. But, you know, maybe Russell looked at what he what his brother did and corrected the things that he didn't do right and he got it right. Because now he's in a mental institution. You know, I don't know. Maybe you're somewhere and you're saying to yourself, well, Miami, or I keep saying my name, MD. MD, maybe, like, you really do have two brothers that are really mentally insane. Maybe that's not so far, you know, from the realm of possibility. And, you know, I I hear your argument. and And I say to that, it's definitely possible. But the problem that I have is how he walked in, said he was, said his, you know, his girlfriend was, you know, they had a fight. She was dead in the house. And then the moment they arrested him, that's when he began to do insane things. Well, I mean, not even after they arrested him, right? Like, even though, like, he was in jail, like, coming up with these color-coordinated color outfits, with King on him that he wrote on his shirt and shaved his head, he was not acting crazy then. He hadn't even, you know, said at that time he wasn't. I think he was, like, setting the stage to be able to have an argument that he was. And and maybe not that he was unfit to stand trial, but that he was insane at the time of the act because there is two different things, right? You can be mentally unfit to stand trial, and then you can have committed the crime in an act of insanity, right? Those are two different things. In my mind, I feel like, Steph, he was trying to set the scene that he was insane at the time he committed the crime. I mean, for me, I don't think so. And the reason why I say that is because this man didn't even show up in court. Like, you know, he was trying to flee the scene. He was still seeing his kids acting normal. You know what I'm saying? Like, I just, I feel like he did, right when he got caught and arrested for not appearing in court, that was when he turned it all the way up. Because they were like, Russell Neal, don't refer to me as Russell Neal. I am Jesus Christ. You know, I, I we can argue. You know, it's, it's no, just No, no, no. And I agree opinions. with you. I think, I think I'm not being clear. I agree with you on that that's what he was. Once he realized he was going to jail, it was like, let me be. I'm about to be insane. What I'm saying is when he was arrested, the first time he cut his, shaved his head off and was doing color-coordinated king. I think that he was trying to show, not that he was insane and I can't stand trial, but that when he committed his crime, he was trying to give an argument for his attorney. Maybe. When they went to trial. Mm. But then he didn't appear for trial. And so now you got to go sit in jail because you didn't appear for trial. Your bond is revoked at this point. You can't be bailed out. I think he recognized that. And he was like, let me be crazy. Could be. I mean, but that's the end of the Catherine 
Martinez story. Um, let's go ahead and get into the takeaways. Yeah, so I think, you know, my takeaway, I loved the title that you came up with. You know, looks, it's not, it's always, looks are deceiving. They're not always as they appear. And I think that's exactly the case here, right? Russell came from this very successful 1990s group, R&B group, that had a lot of fame and although and notoriety at the time. And although they went through a season where they weren't, you know, famous, weren't as popularly known, you see a lot of these 90s groups, like Steph said, coming back now. We're seeing them now resurface. You know, we're seeing SWV. We're seeing the Escapes. They're resurfacing because we're now the, the, the generation that they grew up with. We're older and we want to relive our childhood. We want to relive those moments. And had Russell just simply held on and, you know, he would have been this successful. He would have probably been able to see this fame again with his group. But he used the, the fame and the notoriety of that group and who he was to pull Catherine in. And I think Catherine was wooed, like Steph said, love-bombed and gaslighted by Russell, who then in turn used that, manipulated that, and the true colors of who he really was, that was already in him. That, you know, woman beating, that um, manipulative person was already there. And I think that she, unfortunately, got wooed by who she thought he was, who he was presented to be, you know, in the media, in the spotlight, in this group. And it was only until she got into this relationship with him that she realized he really wasn't as he appeared. But I, I just think a lot of that naivety that she had was due in part to her age when she met him and not fully, you know, knowing herself, not fully understanding and being mature enough to recognize a lot of that. But I, I am deeply saddened that she had to, to bear the brunt of that and that her kids had to witness that. So, you know, I, I can, I'm, my prayers and thoughts are with her boys and hope that they get help for the trauma, what they saw, what they heard that night. And whether Russell decides to ever stop being insane and stand trial, I hope he never sees the light of day, whether that's in a mental institution or in the four walls of a jail cell. Yeah, so my takeaway is, I think it's kind of simple. Um, you know, pay attention to those red flags that, that are there. And I think you're right. I think that that's the highlight for me is that people like Russell, narcissist, um, a domestic abuse violator, however you want to say that, you know, they take advantage of people who are young. That's why that, that age gap was very crucial in that situation because, he used that to his advantage and um you know she really wanted to be loyal and hold on to that relationship but she was doing what was right so mine mine is is that you know she was 
doing the correct thing, trying to get away from him while simultaneously trying to figure out how to navigate a relationship to allow him to be a father. And I think I, I saw a story today on Discovery ID and this lady had a child with a serial killer. She didn't know he was a serial killer at the time, but she was like, I was just trying to, you know, figure out how to, ha he was a good father. You know, that's one, one thing Catherine kept saying. He, he was a good father. He's a good father. If he's beating you, there's no way he's a good father. You know what I'm saying? Like, and, and I feel like I pray that, you know, when you are a domestic abuse victim, that it's just letting go, like shutting that door yeah, if you want to see these kids, take me to court, sir. Let's go. Let's go that route because you're nuts. And so I just I hate that that was the end of Catherine's story. But as a result of her story, I, I'm sure it brought a whole new realm of awareness. Right. Because she wasn't even a part of his generation. But I'm sure because of her notoriety on Instagram and what happened to her, I think she probably her story is a lesson to others to you know get out of those relationships and you know seek help to get out of those relationships because there are various resources to do so so that's my takeaway to put to put a bow on what you said because i love that you can't be a good father if you're beating the mother right <laughs> and I, I love that steph because a good father would never display that type of behavior to their children right so yeah. that's a that's a takeaway I think that that we should all take, you know, and not just like maybe it's not beating, maybe it's emotional um, abuse, maybe it's verbal, verbal. abuse, mm -hmm. whatever it is. That is not they can't be a good father if they're if that's what they're demonstrating to their their children. If that's what their children are seeing, and if you think your that your children aren't seeing that, then yeah, yeah. I, they are. I'm, I'm not even going to go there on what that is. But just mm -hmm. know that they are. Kids see everything. They do. They see and hear everything. And they're going to do what you do as opposed to what you say. What you say. Exactly. So. So that's our episode for today. We hope you enjoyed don't but I'm just gonna briefly like go through um the poll from last week and I asked the question which aspect of Tamala Horsford case intrigues you the most I gave a couple of options suspicious circumstances the possibility of foul play inconsistencies with stories theories of the case and all of it and overwhelmingly 80% of you said all of it is suspicious which I just I just knew everybody was gonna say that but I'm gonna read the the top two responses to the second question that I asked in question and answers which I have to just say I love when y'all give me the feedback and there's a couple of you who are just like notoriously always leaving a comment and I appreciate that um so someone said J Pete 32 i believe tamala was murdered and the police botched the investigation unfortunately she didn't follow her first mind and went home everyone is not your friend 
Yes, girl. Yes. Um, Lindsay says, foul play, absolutely. This case infuriates me every time. And I literally said, I take more pictures than trying to get a selfie. That's a quote from you, MD, from last week's episode. And she says she screamed when y'all said that. <laughs> Listen, I, we enjoy you guys commenting, and I am trying to do better about responding to your comments. So keep the comments coming. We'll try to engage and interact with you on social media. We love you guys and love to hear from you guys. Yes. So until next time, friends, this is Murder in the Black. <laughs>